morning, everybody. Welcome to Woodburn Baptist Church. My name is Tim Harris. I am pastor, luckiest man alive, and I'm so glad that you're with us this morning. Whether you are live in the 8 o'clock service or joining us on Facebook or YouTube Live, or whether you are in the cafe at 9.30 or sanctuary or again on Facebook Live, we're so glad that you're with us. Uh, so glad that you have found us and glad that you're a part of this worship service. I'm in the third sermon in a message series entitled One Blood. We're talking about race and the gospel. We've been following kind of a gospel structure. So week number one, we talked about God's intention, God's plan. Week number two, last week we talked about sin and how sin has ruined the relationships between us and God, but also our relationship with one another. Racism is sin. And then this week, today, I want us to talk about how Jesus, the gospel, brings everything back together, redeems everything. But let's just say a few things to start off. First off, can we just admit one thing? Diversity is difficult. Diversity is just difficult. The fact that God has made us different, it's difficult. It just is. I mean, I wish that it weren't. I wish I had better news for you. I know that the power of Jesus makes us one and the spirit of God makes us one. But can we just still say diversity is difficult? And for that reason, unity takes a miracle. I mean that. I don't, I don't mean I'm not exaggerating. I'm not using poetic language. The unity that, that we need to look at one another and no longer sees foreigners and strangers, but to see sisters and brothers, that my sister and brother, that, that takes a miracle. Diversity is difficult, and unity takes a miracle. I, I love this church. I, I love this church more than anything in the whole world. Y'all know that. I, I have been a part of this church body since I was a teenager. And a lot of what I've learned about loving people, seeing people the same, I learned from this church. I, I, I love this church. And I know where I am and I know who I'm talking to. And, 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 and I appreciate all the ways in which you've discipled me well to be a man of God and a man who sees people. At the very same time, when I left Woodburn the first time, when Casey and I had just gotten married and I left to go to seminary, um, it ripped my heart out. I didn't know at the time that I was called to be the pastor and that I'd be coming back, but I still had the pastor's heart and leaving was difficult. But I made one pledge when I left, and don't take this wrong, I don't mean it wrong, I think you understand what I mean when I say, when I left Woodburn, I made a promise to myself that, that I would never go out and be a part of another all-white church. I just felt like I wanted my Sunday mornings to, to look more like heaven, more like Pentecost, and I just didn't want to be a part of an all-white church anymore. I just wanted to experience the unity of the body of Christ. I wanted to be in a diverse congregation. And I thought that if I went to Louisville, again, this is like 1990. I thought if I went to Louisville that I would find that, that it was a big city. And in the big city, I would be able to find, you know, a Southern Baptist church that, that was diverse. But I, I couldn't find a church in 1990 that, that wasn't as, as white as Woodburn. So I asked around. Finally, somebody said, you know, there is one church. It's, it's, it's downtown. It's called Jefferson Street Mission. God, God bless those people. Jefferson Street Mission. It was a Southern Baptist you know, church plant, and it was a mission primarily in, in the urban center there in the middle of downtown Louisville. It was a, a, a mission for the homeless, primarily a homeless congregation, but it was diverse. 
that. So I thought that may be my church. It sounded like my church. So Casey was a nurse at Baptist East at the time. She had to work one Sunday. So I went to Jefferson Street Mission by myself to find us a church, a diverse church. So I put on my khaki pants and I put on a nice shirt and I put my Bible under my hand and I went to church, y'all. I went to Jefferson Street Mission. I walked in the door and uh, kind of looked around. A, a lady looked at me and said, can I help you? I said, yes, I'm, I'm looking for a Sunday school class. She said, what class are you looking for? I said, well, I'm by myself today, but ordinarily my wife would be with me. We're in our 20s, and uh, we're probably looking for some sort of couples, maybe a young marriage, a newlywed couples class, if you have something like that, you know, a young couples class. And she just looked at me blank for the longest time, and then she said, no. Smoking or non-smoking? I'm like, what? I'm smoking? Uh, two options. There were two adults classes, and it was smoking and non-smoking. So I said, well, uh, I, I, I suppose non-smoking. So she took me to the non-smoking class. I'm telling you, this was a diverse congregation, but did I mention diversity is difficult? And so now I'm, I'm in the non-smoking class, and we're having Bible study. We're talking about loving your enemies. It was a good study. The teacher was actually a very good teacher, and it was a very, very diverse group of, of African-Americans and white folks and, and, and primarily homeless people. And about a third of the way through the class, I was really into it. Y'all had my Bible open, and I, would, I, was, I was into it. But, but this lady raised her hand and said, okay, what about this? We're talking about loving your enemies, right? She said, what if you're out there and somebody gives you a rude gesture? Now, I don't mean mooning you. I would moon you. I mean a rude gesture. Okay, okay, right there, like, I'm lost for the rest of the class. I'm lost because all I'm thinking is, on what planet can you live where, like, mooning is not a rude gesture? Like, on what planet? And then I'm thinking, if, if there's something, like, more rude than mooning, what is it? I mean, I'm just totally... Like, mind blown. I, I cannot imagine a world where people could, like, moon each other, and that's just saying good morning. So, I, I obviously, on that particular Sunday in Louisville, Kentucky, at Jefferson Street Mission, um, I, I discovered something about diversity. Um, it's, it's more diverse than I knew. The world is more complex, and there are more ways to divide and subdivide and separate and reseparate us than I had ever imagined. Uh, diversity is just difficult, you all. It's just difficult. Do I even need to tell you that I did not make my church home at Jefferson Street Mission? Uh, honestly, I went and found a church where all of the classes were non-smoking, um, because diversity is difficult and, and unity, the kind of unity that, that we're talking about, that, that takes a miracle. It's not in us to be able to just sit at a table with somebody who is absolutely different from you, to be able to maintain that relationship, to, to not just see each other, not just tolerate each other, but to love one another. I'm telling you, as difficult as diversity is, that kind of unity takes a miracle. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you what you need to know. And that is just simply God works miracles. God works miracles. Diversity is difficult. It sure is. It takes a miracle. But that should not discourage you because God works miracles. 
He works miracles, and he works a miracle of unity in the church, and the church is a miracle of unity in the world. And if you don't believe me, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Let's talk about it. I've said that there are no races, only humans. That's how God made us. We share the same parents. I said last week, because of Jesus, what Jesus has done, our hostility died with him on the cross. The wall of hostility was brought down by Jesus. That's what Jesus has done. That is the gospel. Not just that you and I are in a new relationship with God the Father because of what Jesus has done, but because of what Jesus has done, we have the miracle of a new relationship with one another and with everybody else, all people. Which brings me to Acts chapter 2. This is kind of the, the, the birthday of the church, you might say. It's, a, it's the fulfillment of prophecy, the fulfillment of scripture. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit, the first preaching of the gospel. And with that, a miracle of unity. Uh, read with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the rush of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of tongues or, 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 or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthenians, Medes, Eliamites. People from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. Others in the crowd ridiculed them and said, they're all just drunk. That's all. But Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is way too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel when he said, in the last days God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men, women alike, and they will prophesy. I will cause wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark. The moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's amazing. That's just absolutely amazing. 
that this miracle of unity, this miracle of language, this incredible bringing together of the nations of the world, and it happens in an instant. The Holy Spirit comes in, and it just happens. People standing around don't know what's happened. I mean, they can't imagine. Their only explanation is, you know, either me or you, somebody's got to be drunk. I mean, somebody's drunk because there is no, no earthly explanation for any of this. No way to explain it. Am I drunk or are you drunk? Somebody's drunk. Peter said, hey, as it turns out, ain't nobody drunk. This is actually fulfillment. This is exactly what the Old Testament talks about. This is what the prophet Joel prophesied. Do you understand? From the very beginning, from the very beginning, the Spirit's outpouring was offered as a promise to all people. From the beginning. I mean, this is what Peter does. He goes back and starts quoting Scripture. And he quotes the prophet Joel in saying, verse 17, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon, say it with me, all people. All people. You know, interestingly, the Greek word there that, that we translate for all, it means all. All people. I will pour out my spirit on all people. You understand, from the very beginning, this is God's plan. It wasn't just a plan to save a few. It wasn't just a plan for Jesus to die and then bring people alike in little groups. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit, one spirit, poured out on all people. That's where the unity comes from. You understand? We can't quite unify around anything else. You know, I mean, we can sort of find people who are more or less like us, and we can sort of, you know, group up together. But even that, it ain't going to last long because we will find some way to separate ourselves. Would you like smoking or non-smoking? You understand? We can somehow find so many ways to divide ourselves, to subdivide ourselves. But the Holy Spirit sees no divisions. The Holy Spirit sees no separation. And the promise from the beginning, God's plan from the beginning, the gospel from the beginning was a plan to pour out the Spirit on all people. All people the same. All people. This message of the gospel is an everyone who calls, you know, kind of message. It's a whosoever kind of message. Do you understand that? Do you see that? Are y'all with me? Do you understand? From the very beginning, this is the promise. And Peter says, this is the fulfillment. That the church is the fulfillment of this promise long ago. The Spirit pouring itself out, pouring himself out on all people. Now, what's even better, I love this. The very first preaching of the gospel, I mean, this is it. Remember, it's the day of Pentecost. We're just talking like 50 days since Jesus was crucified on the Passover, understand? So there's been this period of days when the disciples have mostly been waiting. They, they, they've just been waiting. They've been waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Jesus told them to wait. Jesus told them to wait, and, and the power would, would come upon them because they were going to need power. And that power would come when the Holy Spirit would come, so they had to wait. So they've been in the upper room waiting all this time. You understand? All, all of this time. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for this day, the day of Pentecost. You see, it's a, it's a high and holy festival for the Jews. So in Jerusalem, any Jew who could possibly come to Jerusalem comes to Jerusalem. 
So Jerusalem is absolutely packed with people, packed with pilgrims, packed with travelers. They've all come for, for, for Pentecost. They've come from all the nations. I mean, anybody who could possibly be there, and, and this is the point. This is the most diverse audience possible. This is what we're waiting for, because the first preaching of the gospel was timed, perfectly timed, in order to reach the largest, most diverse audience possible. If this was just going to be a message for the Jews, Jesus could have found a little pocket of Jews, you know, at any point, at any time, because it's no miracle to find, you know, some Jews hanging out together. And for that matter, if Jesus just wanted, you know, to share the gospel with the dwellers of Mesopotamia, he could have gone to Mesopotamia and found a clubhouse full of dwellers of Mesopotamia, Phrygians, Cretans, and all of the rest, you understand? But, but no, see, this is the point. The first preaching of the gospel is timed to have the most diverse audience possible. So on the day of Pentecost, when all of these travelers, all of these people from all the nations of the world are gathered, in that moment the Spirit comes. Now the Spirit comes first off among the believers, those who have put their faith in Jesus, and, and they're hidden out of fear. They're in the upper room. They're not planning on making any noise. They're scared for their lives. You understand, they don't have power yet. But when that power comes, the Holy Spirit blows in like a tornado. You understand that? There's this sound like, like, like a rushing mighty wind. People who've lived through tornadoes say it sounds like a freight train. So there's this sound like a freight train moving through Jerusalem, coming out of you know God knows where. So everybody rushes out to see what the noise is, to find the tornado, to find out if an atomic bomb just went off. They rush out, and what do they find? Spirit-filled believers, all of them from Galilee, like they all from the same place. These Jews in the upper room, they were all, you know, Peter, you know, James and John. I mean, they were all, you know, like cousins and, and Galileans. I mean, these people never traveled more than 13 miles from their house in their whole life. But all of a the sudden, they are standing out in the street preaching the gospel, talking about Jesus, everything God has done. But they're speaking languages that everybody knows they hadn't studied. It says there were people there from every nation in the world. I love it. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt. I mean, I can't find any of these places on a map. I mean, can you? It's just amazing. Egyptians, the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretans, Arabs. Now, you know good and well some of these people wouldn't necessarily under any other circumstances be caught dead with each other. I mean, they all may be in Jerusalem. They all may be Jews. But there's a whole lot of difference between a Cretan and a Roman Dwellers of Mesopotamia, good night. Where is that? What kind of people are we talking about? Rednecks coming out of Mesopotamia? Under ordinary circumstances, these people would not be found on the same pew. But these are not ordinary circumstances. Do you understand that the very first manifestation of the Holy Spirit is this miraculous eraser of all human lines of division? 
When the Spirit comes, it's the first thing that he does. Do you see this? Like, am I the only one excited about this? This is the first thing the Spirit does. Like, there are a lot of problems in the world. I mean, I am sure that if, you know, they all got up and watched Fox News, they would have a long list of problems in the world. But when the Spirit shows up and comes in his power, the very first problem he addresses is the problem of division between people, and he erases all the lines. Erases all the lines. You got... Phrygians and Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia, but all of a sudden it doesn't matter where you come from. It makes no difference where you come from because the Spirit doesn't care. The Spirit makes no distinction. All of those lines are imaginary anyway. The Holy Spirit erases them because once they're all filled with the same Spirit, do you understand? They are taken up into one family, adopted as God's children. I'm telling you, nothing is the same anymore. The first manifestation of the Spirit is a miraculous. Did I mention that this unity takes a miracle? It's a miraculous erasure of all human lines of division. So understand, the gospel makes you forget where you're from. It no longer matters that you were a dweller from Mesopotamia. It no longer matters if the Phrygians and the Elamites and the, and the Cretans, it no longer matters if those people have a lot in common, if they get along, if they have a history of, you know, racial tension. Do you understand? None of that matters anymore. The Holy Spirit comes and erases the lines. Erases the lines. Let's think about the gospel. It makes you forget where you're from, and remember where you're going. Because the fact is, we may all come from different places, but we are all going to the same place. We're going to inhabit the same heaven. You understand? And that's the other thing about the gospel. It really doesn't matter where anybody is from. What really matters is where they will spend eternity. That is the beauty and the urgency of the gospel. Dude, you can forget where you're from doesn't matter anymore. You have been born again, right? I mean born again. Born in the Spirit. Born of this Spirit that makes no distinctions, that erases the lines of division. I mean, Jesus died on the cross, and with him died that hostility between the Phrygians and the Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia. All of that is gone. It's dead with Jesus. There is a new day in the Spirit, and that day is here. And understand, it's this amazing, amazing truth of the gospel. The Spirit just brings people together. That's what the Spirit does. I mean, from the beginning, just brings people together. Now, our salvation, what God is doing in our, in our lives is deeper and broader and, and more than that. But understand, it's never less than that. At the very least, what we'd have to say is this is where it begins. That when the Holy Spirit comes into me and the Holy Spirit comes into you, all of a sudden, the only thing that matters is we are brothers in the Spirit, brother and sister in the Spirit. There is nothing that can divide us when we have the very same Holy Spirit, same Spirit. Spirit brings people together. So understand, the church, I mean, this is the birthday of the church. So what this shows us is that the church is created to be 
the most unified body on earth, the, the church. The church is created to be the least racist, most unified group. I mean, the church is created in this way. Least racist, most unified. I mean, the closest thing to heaven on earth should be the gathering of the church. We may be different, and I'll, I'll say diversity is difficult, but still, you can be on a pew with people that you would never, you know, under ordinary circumstances, you wouldn't be caught dead with, you know, Phrygians and Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia, but here we are. Spirit brings people together. The church is created to be the most unified, the least racist body on planet Earth. Why aren't we? Why aren't we? I said diversity is difficult. It is. It's one thing for the spirits to come and you know just baptize all the people. You know, in, in the spirit and, and immerse them in this, in this miraculous unity, this eraser of division. I mean, the day of Pentecost is amazing, but you know what? There's the day after Pentecost when the Elamites and the Cretans and the Egyptians, the Libyans, the dwellers of Mesopotamia, they, they have to learn how to... Uh, live together and maintain this unity and unity takes a miracle can I tell you a story it's, it's actually our story history <laughs> thing about history is um, history is made up of a whole lot of stories and for the most part, the beauty of being able to, you know, teach history is that you get to choose what stories you tell or, or you get to choose the version of the story that gets told. I'll tell you our story. We're Southern Baptists. If you're watching us online and you didn't know, Woodburn Baptist Church is a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. We're Southern Baptists. Southern Baptists are one of something like 200 Christian denominations in the United States. 200. If we're distinguished for anything, um, you just have to say that the Southern Baptist Convention is um, over 85% white. Which sets us apart in a lot of ways. Uh, we're one of the least diverse denominations in the United States. That's not surprising considering our, our story, our, our history. Do you know where we come from? Southern Baptist Convention was formed in 1845 when Southern Baptists, Baptists in the South, separated from Northern Baptists, Baptists in the North, 1845. 
Do you know why we separated? Now, the story I was often told growing up was that we had a disagreement over missions. Because Southern Baptists, we are missionary people. We, we love missions, and we've always cared about missions. We're not the only Christians who believe in missions, make no mistake. But, but, but when you tell me that we divided over missions, well, that made me think that our story is one of, you know, of valuing missions above everything else. And somehow the Northerners didn't love missions like we love missions. And, you know, it, it makes you think of the story very differently. It makes us sound so different when you say we divided over missions. Do you want to know why we divided from the North? Slavery. Slavery. It is not, it's, it's not that every slaveholder was Baptist. And it's not that every Baptist was a slaveholder. But in the South, if slaveholders were anything, they were probably Baptists. We had a dispute about missions with the North because Northern Baptists refused to appoint as missionaries anybody who owned slaves. And so Baptists in the South drew the line because we wanted to be able to keep slaves and go to church and be missionaries and see ourselves as really good Christian people. In 1845, Southern Baptist Convention was formed for slavery. In those days and four decades later, Southern Baptist preachers would stand in the pulpit and would preach that black people didn't have souls. Remember in the old days when we would have a children's sermon? Every Sunday, a little time when the preacher would step aside and talk to the children. In the day, Southern Baptist churches would have a slave sermon. On Sunday, the preacher would take a moment to preach to the slaves, to preach to the black folk and it was always the same sermon. It was the verse that says, you know, slaves submit to your masters. <laughs> That's our story. 
That's where we come from. Thing is, we don't always know our story. We say that we divided over missions. Because that's, you know, one way to say it. But whether or not we know our story, the world knows our story. African Americans know our story. They know why we're Southern Baptist. Is there any wonder we're 85% white? It was not until 1995. In 1995, finally, Southern Baptists apologized to African Americans. It took us 150 years to just repent of, of, you know, the Southern Baptist original sin. It took us 150 years to own up to that, to, to tell the story true. Now, I, I know there's that tension. It, it's hard, and it, I would say it's, it's impossible to repent for the sins of the dead. We weren't there. We weren't there, and some of us would say our, our, our families weren't even there. That, that's not who we were. That's not my story, but we're Southern Baptists. It, it is our story. We, we stand in that stream now. That, that's our tradition. That's our history. It, it's what we've been known for. 1995, we, we finally admitted that, asked for forgiveness. It wasn't until 2017, three years ago, for Southern Baptist officially denounced white supremacy, the, the idea that white people are better, some sort of superior race. Like, like it took us till 2017 to, to want to say that. I love our church. I love our tradition. I, I love Southern Baptists, but, but I'm just, I, I'm telling you, I, I'm ashamed of all of that. It breaks my heart that, 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 that that's the truth of where we come from. Because we just read the story of Pentecost and, and how the Spirit comes and erases all of those lines of division. All of those lines of division are, are erased, but somehow, as Southern Baptists, it's taken us 150, 200 years to get to the point where we're willing to just repent of these sins, our past sins, the wall of hostility that continues to stand right in our own churches, in our teaching, sometimes in our own hearts. So when I say diversity is difficult, I mean it. In 2,000 years since Pentecost, the, the church, wherever you find the church, still, still continues to wrestle w with this radical unity that the Spirit creates. 
It's, it's difficult. Did I mention we got 200 denominations in the United States? I mean, we can find so many new ways to build a brand new wall of hostility, to find a new way to distinguish ourselves from the Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia. But the Spirit isn't playing any of those games. Every line erased. Did I mention that the, when the Spirit was poured out on the very first day, the first manifestation was that miraculous eraser of distinction? So the church is created to be the least racist, the most unified body on the planet. It's the closest thing to heaven on earth you're going to see. Can we just admit that we got a long way to go to live up to that, to make that real? I mean, we got a long way to go just so the world would begin knowing us for our love and not for our division, our, our hatefulness. We got a long, a long way to go in a denomination that continues to be 85% white. Our church doesn't even look like our community. Our community's not 85% white. Have you met your neighbors? It's an a, a, amazing influx of the nations into Warren County, and yet our church isn't moved by that, y'all. We, we don't look like our community. We certainly don't look like Pentecost, and we don't look like heaven. Diversity is difficult, and, and unity takes a miracle, but God works miracles. We're not going to find unity in anything else, not a political party, not a new president. I'm telling you, there is nothing that can unify us. There is no power that is going to bring down the wall of hostility except the power of Jesus, except the power of the Spirit. And if you got the Spirit in you and I got the Spirit in me, then this is what the Spirit is doing. He's been doing it since the first day he was poured out, and he's still doing it. Fact is, he's just got more work to do in my heart and your heart. Can we just agree together? Can we just make a promise together that we're going to let him do it? Like the entire work. Like, I want the Holy Spirit to change this heart in me. The, the story that my fathers and, and, and my grandfather and, and the story of all the Baptist parents before me, I, I want to live a brand new story. I want to start a brand new chapter in the Spirit. I, I want to live the story of Pentecost, not the spirit of 1845. You understand? I want the spirit of Pentecost that brings people together. I want to be a part of that. I want to be in that. I want to see that. I want my heart to be at home in that because that's what the Spirit does. It's what the Spirit's still doing. Spirit's got a lot of work to do in my heart and your heart in, in this church. The kind of unity that, that Christ died for, it, it'll take a miracle. But you know what? God works miracles. And this miracle of unity is what he's creating even now in me and you. The only thing in the way most days is me and you. Surrender to the spirit. Let him blow the wind of unity through your heart.
The Spirit brings people together, everyone, whosoever. So pray with me. Lord God, we're sorry. We're sorry that after 2,000 years, we still don't do this well. We still think too much about where we came from, where other people come from, what they look like, how we're different. We make so much of our differences. So little of the spirit that comes to indwell us, that, that, that blows into our hearts like a wind, a radical wind of unity. We somehow manage to be unmoved when this mighty freight train of unity blows through with the spirit. God, help us. God, we can celebrate the fact that we're not as bad as we used to be, that maybe we've come some distance from our forefathers and mothers in the 1800s, Lord, but we still got a long way to go, Lord. Our children will look back, Lord, and judge us perhaps harshly as well as we judge our parents, Lord. We, we want to live a different story. We want our church, Lord, to be an an actual place of unity. We want it to look like the community. We want it to reflect the diversity of our neighborhoods around us, Lord. We want our church to look like Pentecost. We want our church to look like heaven. If this is to happen, Lord Jesus, we know it's going to take a miracle. We don't have that in us. We don't have that love in us. We don't have that power in us, Lord Jesus, but you do. You do. So will you give us that power? Will you give us that love in our hearts? Oh, Lord Jesus, will you teach us that everyone and whosoever, these are those that the Spirit indwells, that the Spirit draws together. Will you draw us together, Holy Spirit, that this church might look more like Pentecost, that this church and our lives might be more like heaven. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and in the spirit of Jesus that brings us all together. Amen.